Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. You're listening to Queers, a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. How is what they are not doing not gender fluidity? Do you want, do you want to try that again? Um, <laughs> <laughs> The question. Oh my gosh, it was like a triple negative. <laughs> How did you frame it? It's the 21st of July, 2017. I'm Benjamin Riley. And I'm Simon Copland. Welcome to Queers. Each episode, we talk our way through questions on a theme, and this week is the first part of a two-part episode we're doing talking about queer essentialism and what it means to identify as queer. Last year, we released a two-part episode about the idea of queer politics, and it's a format we've wanted to try again uh, when the right topic came up. So, like last time, while you can listen to these two episodes separately, the next episode will be built on the themes of this one. But before we start, we wanted to talk briefly about a few housekeeping things. So, um, Simon is about to go on a trip. Where are you you going again, Simon? I'm going to the US and Canada. Oh, lovely. I wish I was going to the US and Canada. Yeah, I'm Um, looking forward to it. So, it's kind of prompted us to do a few different things. We've been thinking for really since the podcast started about interviews as a regular kind of part of the format. And we've talked about this um, on episodes as well. And we, I think, released one interview episode last year that was a bit sort of just sort of as, as it happened, it was a bit ad hoc. But we're, we're using Simon's trip as a, as, an, as a prompt to actually start doing that. So, so hopefully that will happen. It might mean a bit of a delay while Simon's away. We'll see how we, we'll see how we go. So, so I guess there'll be some... And this episode is, 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 has been delayed a bit too so so just kind of bear with us over the next month i guess as we we adjust to to a new format and and these sort of scheduling issues we've also finally 18 months into doing this podcast set up social media accounts for it um which is a long time coming um but it it means hopefully that people will be able to start discussing the episodes there and contacting us there, particularly if you don't have Twitter or you, you know, feel a bit weird about sort of just contacting us individually uh, and directly. So it's the same same uh, handle on Facebook and Twitter at Queers Podcast. Uh, so like our nice and simple. So same as the same as the email address as well. So so like the page and uh, follow us on Twitter and. Yeah, and hopefully we can we can get some discussions happening around what we're talking about in the episodes. And the other thing also is uh, we have our email address, as always, uh, queerspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we've been thinking that we might want to start including some of the feedback we get um, from the emails in the podcast episodes and probably having a little section at the end when we get emails where we can uh, read out the emails at the end and have a bit of a chat about them. Um, so we'd really like to encourage people to send us emails with uh, with questions or comments about the episodes. And if you don't want your email read out, just let us know in that email. But otherwise, we'll um, hopefully read out your, be able to read out your emails um, and have a bit of a chat about that and, and sort of starting to incorporate that as part of the episodes. Cool. That's uh, That was a lot of housekeeping information to dump on you at the start of the 
the episode, so let's get into the discussion. So another big brand was in Queer Community's Bad Books last week, uh, with Vogue magazine apologising for a cover story about model Gigi Hadid and pop star Zayn Malik. The story initially framed the couple as being part of a new generation embracing gender fluidity, uh, with the article talking about how the two shared each other's wardrobe as a way to highlight a new generation focused more on attitude than on gender. The outrage prompting Vogue's swift apology focused on the idea that Hadid and Malik's behaviour did not constitute, quote, real gender fluidity. A typical tweet on the topic stated... Quote, think Vogue is a bit confused on what gender fluidity is. Wearing your GF's t-shirt does not make you gender fluid, end quote. Much of the response perpetuated an essentialized narrative of gender identity, one which sees identities such as, quote, gender fluidity as something inherent to particular people. Essentialism within queer communities is a topic we've returned to again and again on the podcast. But this most recent news story is an opportunity for us to discuss it a little bit more directly. We're also extremely aware and maybe uh, too aware of how thorny a topic this is for a lot of queers. And as always, we're keen to hear your feedback and your thoughts. So with that, let's jump into it. Simon, do you want to start us off maybe with a bit of a working definition of essentialism in the context that we're talking about it now? And then how would you say the backlash to the Vogue story demonstrates that? So maybe I just want to get started with the being keenly aware about how thorny of a topic this is for a lot of queers. Um, I think when I've spoken about essentialism to people in the past, I've realised that I think what a lot of people feel like we're talking about is sort of a, an attack on people's sense of self. I think there's a lot of connection between sense of self um, that we're going to be discussing here. And when people bring up ideas of essentialism and criticising essentialism, uh, it comes can come across as attacking pe- how people perceive themselves very directly. Mm. Um, and that's something that I want to sort of address head-on because I think it's something that's really important um, to say that it's not the approach I want to take. I'm not trying to take an approach of attacking how people perceive themselves or, 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 or saying that the way you perceive yourself is wrong inherently, but rather they're just sort of engaging in a discussion about, the, about what essentialism means um, and sort of asking us to think critically about that, I think, is sort of where I want to come from. And I know that's a difficult conversation. It's a fine line to draw. Um, so I'm happy uh, for people to engage in critique and discussion about that after the episode um, and will sort of engage in that conversation. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's I think that's a something that hopefully we'll come back to again and again in this discussion. We we really want to um, have that right out in the open, our kind of awareness and hopefully engagement with with that context. So so we'll see how we go. Yeah. So going back to that initial question of you know what is a working definition of essentialism in this context. I think for me, I start with this, the idea of essentialism. You know, I start with a with a sort of the sexuality background because that's where I've sort of first incorporated this, uh, sort of first first sort of became aware of this idea of what essentialism was and, and sort of started to criticise it. That what essentialism was there was sort of a, you know, I, I sort of see essentialism and sexuality debates really so being the sort of born this way debate or the born this way discourse, which is a sort of idea that. Um, people are born gay. It's sort of in our genetic makeup, which is a very common discourse, that it's sort of inherent to your nature somehow, that your sexuality is inherent to your nature. And there's sort of a stronger link that goes beyond that, which says it's not just it, it, it's not just that you're uh, sort of genetically, physically attracted to people of the same sex, but that you're also that that there's a, a sort of an inherent identity that comes with that. That's sort of an ill-defined, sort of obscure identity that's. Um, as an amorphous identity, I guess, that's part of this sort of essentialist ideal. Um, I've sort of become very critical of that um, idea, even though I 
respect that obviously lots of people have these and you know and I'm one of these people that have sort of very strong feelings of sexuality from very on, early on in age I'm, I'm critical of the idea that sort of sexuality is all inherently to you know born in nature that you're, you're sort of born gay or you're born straight or whatever um, and that and that comes through a whole bunch of stuff around around questions about the science around it but also questions about the sort of the idea that sexuality is a social construct in this in this concept and arguing that given that sexuality is a social construct and it's a social construct that has changed many times it's very hard to argue that you can be born into something that is a social construct so going so, and this this is something that we've talked about pretty directly on the on the podcast before with some you've used the I was think the Cynthia Nixon yeah. example is a really good one, which which points to the other kind of element of essentialism, which is a kind of immutability, like th- that that it is unchanging or unchangeable. Mm. Yeah, and, and and I think that the Cynthia Nixon also gave a really good example of of the negative side of an essentialist narrative. And so what happened with Cynthia Nixon is that she sort of said, you know, she was in a relationship with a man, got divorced, I think, and then and then entered a relationship with a woman and, and had an interview with a magazine with I think it was uh, the New Yorker or something like that. It was a magazine in New York saying that she chose to be in a relationship with a woman, that she chose to be gay, that she was happy with that choice, etc., that she was really, you know, it was a really positive thing. And then people sort of came down on her hard saying this was a really destructive thing that she was saying, that she was helping, you know, conservatives who were saying that, you you know, you can just choose to be gay and therefore, you, you know, if you can just choose, we can stop it and all that kind of stuff. And it sort of created this whole narrative that, you know, well, for me, it creates this whole narrative of this idea of why would one want to choose to be gay and also creates this narrative that, you only deserve, you know, rights and freedom if, if something is inherent to your biology and not if it's something that you choose to do um, and that choice isn't something that should be protected, which I think is really problematic. And that was such a good example of some of the destructive nature of the essentialist debate to me. So I guess uh, going to this Vogue story, and I think this is where it's this, this gets complicated, I guess, for me or for us maybe, because, uh, well, at least for, for me, um, I'll, I'll just... I'll just Use myself because I don't, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be someone who who identifies as gender fluid. It's not a, it's not a, um, an identity that I that I uh, that I identify with. But the what the backlash to the Vogue story, I think, has very similar elements to the backlash to the essentialist narrative that you have in sexuality. So a lot of people criticised uh, Vogue because they said that the that these this couple weren't truly gender fluid and I guess the question that I wanted to ask is to start off here is what does being gender fluid actually mean so I think there was a lot of sort of ideas in that sort of discourse that assumed an an inherent sort of essentialist idea of gender fluidity that this was something that was in that was inherently defined within some particular people uh, and that that these this couple uh, didn't identify you know didn't connect with that because the only things that they did was to chain, you know, to share each other's clothes, which was the main example used in that article. I would sort of argue that, you know, if we're, if we're thinking about gender as being sort of a social construct, that, you know, even though that these two might not have been the best example, things like clothing is a, a really strong element of, of, of how we perform gender in our society. And so playing with clothes is, is one element of a way to, to, to play with the, with the idea of gender. And so it can add, can be an element of gender fluidity. And so the question is, what, what is gender? Gender fluidity, and is that an inherent part, an inherent trait that we have, or is it something that is something that we can sort of play with ourselves and sort of play with in a, in a proactive, constructive way? And that's, I think, where this this sort of debate, where we can start this sort of debate in this discussion. Sure, I mean, I I think the 
the and I mean, and this is kind of where we really get into tricky territory about you know being two cisgendered people kind of having this discussion, particularly around like you know what what is the definition of gender fluidity. I mean, like I would say that's that's probably open to Absolutely. debate, but you know within uh, communities that associate with those with with a label like that. I mean, I, like I. I feel like the the way that this response kind of highlights that is as something like male or female or or androgynous or you know like it is it is just another gender identity and, and one that perhaps presents in different ways on different days or in different moments or or, or uh, you know from place to place but but it is is I think the implication of a lot of these responses is that it is as these other kind of gender identities are like male or female it is just a kind of another one you know that a, that a person can be it's i mean it's funny because like reading the actual article itself that prompted a lot of this backlash i actually thought it was quite interesting i mean it was kind of looking at i mean it was pretty kind of basic like very sort of gender 101 in in some senses but it was kind of looking at ways that fashion and the fashion industry which you know as extremely problematic as it is and it's this very kind of like awful industry in a lot of ways it, it does uh, embrace, I guess, playing with and deconstructing traditional ideas of gender in ways that can be quite interesting. And so it sort of like placed uh, this idea of uh, Gigi Hadid and uh, Zayn Malik wearing each other's clothes within that context. Like it's it like that like that's just the sort of it's almost like the the kind of the obvious example that is a- against this kind of painted backdrop of of all of the ways that this is done within within the fashion industry as a whole. I mean, I think what you were saying about the article was really interesting because I had, I had a read of it too, and I think it was uh, the way that they incorporated what these two were doing, what Judy Hadid and Zayn Malik were doing, and the sort of discourse around gender fluidity was really interesting. And I, and I guess the question is, how is what they're doing not gender fluidity so this i mean and i think this goes down to a to a to a to a really core question of what is gender fluidity which i guess we're we're sort of skirting around that question a little bit here but i i think it's gonna be really hard to answer that because i don't really know if there is a good definition of what gender fluidity means but i guess this is like this is sort of the core question here and, and not just around gender fluidity but around like queer identities generally which is that there is a tension here between an essential identity, you know, like something kind of core that is part of a person that is immutable, that is from birth perhaps, and something that is performed and enacted and constructed and perhaps knowingly so. And and I suppose, like, I see this example as it's almost like it, it's like a... The reason it's an interesting case study is because it so kind of... Like, like it, it draws... A, line, a hard line between that idea of essential identity and that idea of performative identity in a space where I think it is almost makes the least sense to draw that line. So, mm, you know, I feel mm. like the, in, in some ways the Cynthia Nixon example that we talked about before is almost at the other end of the of the spectrum in that it's like, you know, the, the broad sort of discourse in queer communities around sexuality is that it's not a choice, blah, 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 blah. And she's literally just coming out and saying it is. And so that's like kind of clear cut in the sense that like it makes it makes sense why gay people would be angry about that because it's just this kind of direct challenge to to the way that we think about sexuality as inherent. Whereas I think this example kind of goes, well, what these what this kind of outrage is essentially essentially is implying, uh it or, or stating even is that this 
thing that uh, this this idea like gender fluidity, you know, as which I think I think can I yeah, no, sure. and I'm guessing what, what 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 maybe you're trying to say or the way I'm thinking about it is that the discourse or the very idea of gender fluidity is a lot more fluid. Uh, in some ways, just to, well, would, to use the, think, yes. the very language. Yeah, yeah. It, at least, at least, it is how I've understood it. And I think that it's it is in the sense, at least from my perspective, in the sense of that you know, there's a there's an increasing discourse around around different gender identities or different gender performance, different gender performances or different um, practices of gender and a, a range of different terms that are associated with that and i think a lot of the the discourse particularly around gender fluidity and i think this is why this case is particularly interesting to me because they use the term gender fluidity rather than um something like trans for example which i think it would have been much more problematic if they'd used trans uh, i think it would have been extremely problematic if they'd used trans you mean if um, if, uh, if, 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 if vogue yeah, yeah if vogue had if vogue had decided that they were trans you know sort of applied that label to them um, whereas in this case, what they were looking at was sort of they're they're playing with gender in in a, in one particular way and applying that label of gender fluidity, which I think is a much more fluid term in terms of identifying people who sort of uh, identifying practices of playing with with sort of gendered norms and 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 engaging in it in the way that these two clearly do. Uh, and I think that's why it's the outrage is interesting because it's sort of placing another a, a sort of essentialized identity onto. And sort of placing, giving this term another essentialized element, so that says that that there's a that people who are gen, uh, gender fluid are sort of, or I guess uh, people who sort of sit in this sort of um, you know have to have to have this essentialized um, identity that they've that they've had since they were young, um, uh, you know that that sort of is inherently connected to them and that. For some reason, this, it just doesn't apply to these two. Do, you know, mm. there was no. Well, I mean, I think I think yeah. the uh, part of the issue that I have here is that it, it kind of like removes the possibility of you know pl- playing with gender and kind of performing gender in different ways or, mm. or deconstructing your gender presentation uh, as like like it almost kind of relegates it to this. Like, you can only do that or you can only do those things. And I'm, like, grossly kind of um, oversimplifying here. And and, um, and I, I probably if I said that to the people making these arguments, that they, they probably wouldn't necessarily agree. I'm taking it to an extreme. But, like, it's almost like you can only do those things if you, you know, quote, identify as, for example, gender fluid. And, I mean, to me, that's that's kind of a dangerous line of, line of thinking because, because it, it, I don't know, sort of, like, denies the possibility that any of us could explore our Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Our gender presentation or our... I mean, I'm trying really hard not to use the word gender identity here, but like the... Yeah, I guess the way that we experience our gender or the way that other people see our gender or the way that we want to portray our gender. And this was kind of a conversation, Simon, that you and I were having when we were talking about this article and thinking about the possibility of... of um, 
of doing an episode like this, which we've kind of been... We've wanted to do something like this almost since the podcast started and have been avoiding it. Yeah, we have. And this just kind of seemed like a, a good example to do it. And I think part of the reason I relate to this a lot is even in... Uh, there, I feel like there are just like two directions I want to go in here. I'll just go in one and hopefully we'll come back around to the other one. I am, you know, very much I, I identify as a man, but I am interested, I guess, in the ways that I maybe don't present as entirely masculine or like, you, you know, it, it obviously doesn't, it doesn't make sense to kind of think about masculinity and femininity as inherent to particular people and as that binary. I mean, anyone kind of engaged in any sort of thinking about gender, yep, gender yep. would, would um, I'm sure, agree with that. And so, I, I suppose I am interested in exploring things about myself and, and aspects of my personality and the way that I present that are maybe more, you know, potentially read as more feminine or less masculine. And in... When, when I see something like this, when I see something like the response to this Vogue article, it almost makes me feel like that space doesn't exist. Like, there's no place for me to do that without it becoming almost like an appropriation of a gender identity that I that I can't claim or that I don't officially sort of own or identify as. And I'm kind of... Yep. And, and again, like, I... I, I don't think that people would literally deny me this. I, like, I, I think I'm kind of extrapolating here and, and kind of taking it to its, uh, to its extreme conclusion, perhaps. But I feel like that's what that, to me at least, that line of thinking, that's where that goes. Or even if it, people wouldn't literally deny it to you, there's the potential that if you were to, to explore a different gendered aspect of yourself. Um, and I, so I'm going to use the broader you, sure, not yes. the you specifically here. The royal then. you. <laughs> um, uh, if in the royal you, if one was to do that, then there's an assumption that you have to take on an identity to, to, to go with that as well. Um, and and I, and I think you see this very clearly. And I, I guess I have less experience with this with um, in gender because... Uh, yeah. I, it's 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 just it's just an it's just an area of my own personality, per, you know, me personally that I just, just I'm 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 not thinking pretty, about it. Yeah. yeah, I'm not thinking about it. I guess is the easiest way to do it. Um, but in terms of sexuality, I think about it quite a lot. Um, and and you see this a lot with uh, sort of a, particularly with recent debates, for example, about straight men who have sex with men. Yeah. Um, oh, and the that. assumption that, you know, the straight men who have sex with men, you know, they have to be gay, they must be gay, they must be, you know, they've always been gay, or they're at least bisexual, etc, etc. And there's so there's this idea that if you want to explore sexuality uh, with people of the same sex, or you uh, want to have a physical release, or you want to, whatever you, for whatever reason, you might want to have sex with someone of the same sex, that there has to be an, an identity placed onto you and an essentialized identity placed onto you for that to occur. And this is the the problem I've had with um, essentialized discourse in sexuality stuff for quite a while. It sort of creates this, it sort of creates another binary where you have the, the group of straights who are the, the, the large group over here and the group of gays and bi's um, over here uh, and those boundaries can't be sort of crossed. They can't be blurred. And if you do dare to blur largely from the straight into the gay, then you have to adopt that full identity, that full essentialized identity and discourse. And I think uh, what what I see with the Vogue 
example is a sort of similar type of discourse where you have the sort of cis and non-cis I mean, that, that, that um, you sort of define the group of cis and the group of non-cis people and they're two distinct identities and there's, there's, you can't sort of cross... The, those, there's no blurriness or boundaries and that you can't cross those boundaries and once you do have to cross those boundaries... Once you do cross those boundaries, you end up having to, to accept those identities full, you know, in full ways. So what you have a situation here is where two people probably... I don't know, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if they... I don't think they identified as gender fluid. I don't know what they identify as. I don't really know. They didn't actually say what well, they identified as in that article. It's almost, almost not relevant, but they were because they didn't say we are we we identify as gender fluid. They were then, according to the to to all of the tweets I saw, they were said, "Well, these two cis people, you can't talk talk about them being gender fluid." So they weren't allowed to cross to, to sort, of, sort of be in that that potential blurry zone or cross those boundaries or whatever that looked like. You were you were, they were in one camp, and so therefore they weren't the right people to present in this in this sort yeah. of yeah. I mean, as you were talking, particularly about drawing comparisons with sexuality, I think something I'm really interested in around this topic is why do these conversations feel so different? when we're talking about sexuality to when we're talking about gender, even in terms of uh, the stakes, I think. I mean, and there's like there's one answer to, that, to this that's really obvious and I think is important to say, which is that trans people and, and communities associated with, like, with trans people are, really have a shit time of it, you know? <laughs> like, are really just kind of shat mm. on, not in a fun, uh, kinky way, although that too, possibly... But I mean, like politically, you know, really uh, incredibly marginalised, under attack by society broadly, under attack by political systems, the stuff going on in the US and it's, we're seeing kind of the tendrils of that in other places as well around uh, bathroom use for trans people is like fucking terrifying. And like that stuff, you know, I think there is, I think that part of this is also about uh, probably the appropriation of oppression or the appropriation of kind of suffering, which I think is important to 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 state and, and put out there. And, and I think that that, like, I can see why that would upset people. And, you know, and it, it's kind, like, it's kind of, it's kind of fair enough, especially when you're talking about something like the fashion industry and people who are like incredibly sort of wealthy and don't have to, you know, I can see how it would rile, rile people up for them to kind of be compared to, for their experience to be compared to the experience of people who have a, a really kind of hard time of it a lot of the time. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely see that. And I think that's a fair critique to make in in, in, in relation to this article and the sort of, the, almost the, the glamorization of these two people who are, who are doing very well and able and have the capacity to play in this kind of way when there are people who are trying to live their lives and who are being, you know, facing... Um, discrimination every day often, because you know. of yeah yeah probably more more often than not you know and 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 I think uh, in relation to gender in particular I think it's uh, because it can often be so, so much more visible um, sort of people mm. would in terms of you know the capacity to, to you know playing with gender can be a, a bit more of a sort of playing with gender or having a different gender identity can be can be seen as being more visible I'm trying to say that in a, in a, and this is saying that in a positive way not not in a um that can often result in more discrimination than sort of than it, the, you know in day-to-day violence and stuff than it could for 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 um for gay people who who can often sort of have the capacity to hide that on on the street, but not that anyway. That's that's just no. A side and I think point. It's, I think it's worth making. I mean, that, like that kind of also leads into the the other thing I was going to say about the differences between 
gender and sexuality, I, I think, like, it's a bit complicated, obviously, because, like, when you talk about gay people, for example, like, on some technical level, you know, or homosexuality, say, on some technical level, you're talking about, like, in the case of men, you know, you get hard when you, like, think about having sex with another man, or you Mm. do have sex with other men, and so they're kind of, like... And I'm, I'm going to use a really kind of gross word here, but the sort of proof of it is in an act that I think is seen to be more measurable or more definable or something. Whereas, you know, gender is more, it's more visible, as you said. And I guess it's it has to be performed in a more ongoing way, in a more kind of moment to moment way. Obviously, it's a bit more complicated than that because, you know, th- there is a sort of, to talk about like gay, the idea of gay, there is a, a sort of gender identity associated with that as well. You know, th- there is a sort of performance of gayness that goes beyond um, sex, the act of sex. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. but I think the the point still broadly holds that that's perhaps why the gender stuff feels a lot more fraught because it's 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 less. And again, like take this word with a million kind of grains of salt, but it's less kind of provable. And so that kind of, I think, puts people on the defensive a lot more. Yeah, potentially. I'm going to have to think about why, about about this a little bit more. I mean, I think I think it is true that there are different reactions. I think it is true as well, though, that whenever I talk about essentialism in terms of sexuality, it is one of the times that I, I, I see gay people get really upset the most when you sort of challenge this. And I think this goes back to the first point that I was making about the sort of the perception, the idea of challenging the perception of self, which is really strong here. And that's true in both sexuality and gender. And I can completely understand that. And it's something that I've seen throughout this discussion about the Vogue magazine is the sort of the idea that this was uh, challenging people's perceptions of their very, their, their self and their very being. And that's a really hard thing to do. Um, and there is so much, essentialized discourse in this that uh, so so much essentialized discourse within gender and sexuality debates nowadays that it's really hard to sort of to challenge that and I think maybe another part of this is that uh, as as someone said to me in relation to this you know people who are gender fluid or trans are, are trying to prove themselves every day and trying to you know prove their worth and tr- prove their being uh, you know prove their to- worth yeah, as human totally. beings and and prove you know and prove their gender identity every day and that's an awful thing to have to go through and then so i can see why you know these sorts of things which sort of challenge that sense of self would be really difficult and i totally understand that and and so you know so the the discourse that we're having is sort of at that sort of um, I guess almost at the theoretical level, and it's, sure. you know, how we bring that down to that personal level is really totally difficult. As and I well. feel like there's a there's a question here about kind of realism versus idealism. You know, where like the like to you know, to use a, a cliched phrase to to check our privilege here. I mean, it's it's not just the kind of privilege of of being cisgendered people talking about this. It's it's also that we're kind of you know able to talk about it in the abstract uh, on a like podcast about uh, about queer stuff uh and so i i can sort of i don't know like i guess you can say that a, a world in which we are all free to openly kind of play with gender and explore our gender presentation and that anyone can do that and that it, it it's it doesn't have the same kind of fraughtness that it often does now would be great but it's not the world that we live in you know that's that's kind of a that's a, that's a utopian mm. position to take 
and one that maybe is at odds with the the the, the often very kind of challenging and often violent context that that people who uh, don't identify as, as cisgender uh, live in. Yeah, I was gonna this this thought might not go anywhere, but. I'm thinking about the kind of link. I almost was reluctant to kind of sort of talk about identity politics, but I, I'm sort of interested in like the idea that identity as a category is maybe a sort of like way to assert selfhood in a world that is often trying to question or reject or even reject that selfhood. I, like I feel like there's an implication to what we're saying that is that essentialized gender and sexuality is in some ways a sort of defense against attacks on our communities. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think I mean, I think at least in terms of sexuality, I see that quite a lot. I I'm not I'm not as sure about that in terms of gender and I'd have to think well, about I mean, that a little like, bit. Like I feel like that's at least true to an extent. I mean, that, like mm. that, I feel like that was the undercurrent in in a lot of the responses to the Vogue article. Yeah, I mean at, at least, you know, a lot of the stuff in sexuality, for example, you see the the idea that if we sort of you know, it's, it's sort of reaction against the against conservative arguments that we're all we all just choose to have, to leave this sort of hedonistic lifestyle. You know, that we all just choose to have to have this. You know, to to, to be gay and therefore, you know, we don't deserve any rights because we choose this awful lifestyle. Um, and and I think that probably runs and so a lot of essentialized sort of narrative is a way to counteract that I think or has been has started as a way to counteract that and it's sort of it's interesting where it sort of was often used as a political strategy that then became sort of very connected to people's sense of self and then beca- has become really ingrained and I think that's I mean I, I think that's certainly true of sexuality can, you, you can see similar in gender as well or is that what yeah you sort of mean? well yeah I mean I guess that's kind of the the question but it like the it certainly would make sense to me to draw that link. I mean, there's, like, there's obviously, there's a lot going on here, you know, and I, I feel like this, ag- again, kind of goes back to the conversations that we often have about about identity politics and the kind of origins of that and the, the motivations for that. And it's I think that's a kind of a mix of all sorts of things. I mean, I think it is about this, you know, we've talked before about how it's, it is sort of, uh, fits sort of hand in glove with neoliberalism in a lot of ways. We've talked before about identity politics as a kind of organizing strategy that it's a, a convenient and, and often effective way to to make uh, certain kinds of political change at least and i suppose what i'm thinking about now and where i feel like this conversation has led is that maybe it is also on a very sort of basic level on a very sort of day-to-day lived level it's a way to sort of assert selfhood in the face of attacks on that selfhood. Oh, I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, I, I would 100% agree with you. And I think that that's something that uh, would be worth exploring a lot more. But yeah, no, I think that, that, that there's a there's a, an inherent connection. There's a connection between identity politics and, and, a, and a, a sense of self. And there's a, that, I think that's definitely true. I would, I would agree and I, with I feel that. like there's something just to... Because we, we probably should wrap this discussion up. But the something that we have kind of implied in these last few minutes of discussion and not actually said is that link between essentialism and identity politics. I mean, I would, I would, and I would argue that, you know, the, the core uh, essentialism is almost the core idea of identity politics, you know, that, that it's like, you know, self as kind of category. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I think you're right. And I think it's a really interesting contradiction that we should play out, pull out at some point in time, because I think identity politics is also based on this idea of you being able to identify how you want and 
had the sort of having the free choice to do that and sort of engaging in that, but then having this strong connection to essentialism, which is sort of that your identity sort of defined for you from very early on in your life. Well, that is that is probably a perfect place to end because that's exactly what the focus of our the second part of this uh, true it is, isn't it? Is going oh, to yeah. be. So, do you want to do you want to finish up there? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Great. So uh, that's it for us today. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. It was a bit kind of tentative, I think. But, you know, hopefully we, we kind of got somewhere with it. We'll pick it up in a couple of weeks. I mean, we're actually just recording the thing to, you know, to be completely transparent about the whole thing. We're, we're going to record the second half of the discussion straight away so we can release it while Simon's away. But we'll, it'll be released as a second part in a couple of weeks' time as normal. So turning directly to the question uh, that we came to at the end, which is who does or doesn't get to identify as queer? Uh, we'll look forward to that. I'll definitely look forward to doing that. Um, and in the meantime, you can catch us on queers.portomatic.com or subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, and as we always ask, please leave a review and rating, which helps other people find us. And an even better way you can help other people find us is by telling a friend who you think might enjoy the podcast. Word of mouth is is really important. You can also send us an email at queerspodcast at gmail.com. As we said at the start, we're hoping for those emails to be incorporated into the show. Um, so so make sure to note in your email if that's something that you don't want to happen. Otherwise, we'll, we'll read it out and, and discuss hopefully at the end of an upcoming episode. We also we do um, try to get back to everyone who emails us as well. We're not always super quick at doing that, but hopefully we will uh, get better. Uh, and as we mentioned at the start of the episode... 18 months in and we've finally gotten around to setting up some social media accounts um, so that's exciting so you can go and check those out now we're on Facebook and Twitter at Queers Podcast so come and say hello and uh, we're hoping that they'll create a bit of sp- space for some discussion and debate and sort of questions about the episodes um, and we'll be in there and engaging with all of that uh, and you can also contact us on our personal social media accounts. I'm on Facebook at Simon Copland Writer, and I'm on Twitter at Simon Copland, and Ben's on Twitter at Ben C. Riley. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we will see you next time. Catch you then.